can't ride on my little red wagon. You can't ride on my little red wagon. Front seat's broken in the wicket, the wicket, the wicket, the wicket. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is the Nick Bartlett Show. This is a Sports Pack 12 original. So don't forget it, y'all knuckleheads. If you didn't figure it out by the title, my name is Nick Bartlett. I'm the broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer at Oregon Sports News. I've had my articles featured in the Seattle PI, 750 The Game, and Go Local PDX, and a bunch of other random media outlets and places and shenanigans and all like that. This is a sports show about Pac-12, current events, affairs, obviously the action of the field, and the conference in totality. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, if you've been here for a long time, eh, maybe thank you. Nah, nah, thank you for coming on. And without further ado, let's get to some Pac-12 action. Welcome back, you wild Mustangs and Cabaritos. Cabaritos a thing. I don't know, but grateful we're all back together here for another episode of the Nick Bartlett Show. Today we're going to put the spotlight on USC's and Colorado's men's basketball teams. I'm also going to discuss how good these teams really are and whether they have the potential to make a deep run into the NCAA tournament. We're also going to discuss the Pac-12 and Larry Scott parting ways, obviously the big news of the hour, and I'll give you my take on the situation at hand. And as always, as always, we will end today's show with Bartlett's random topic of the day in which I have a rant that I am really freaking ready to dish out. I literally just felt myself getting angry. The cheeks may be getting a little flushed, uh, just stupidity. Anyways, I will hold on to that rant until Bartlett's random topic of the day. It just me, it's just me today, guys. No guests. Thank you, Dan, for coming on the show last week. A bunch of the students were coming on in season one, but it's just me today, baby. Get ready. Hold on to your freaking saddle pony up, whatever the heck they say out west. Let's get into the hot tea on the table, and I'll give you my thoughts on the Larry Scott departure. So, as I just said, starting off the show today, most Pac-12 and Pac-12 aficionados out there talking about Larry Scott are probably thinking about TV deals, funding, the scheduling of games, and who the new commissioner is going to be. And while these certainly are valid questions, there's something more glaring about why this move had to be made. And you all are fans out there and probably have the same take as me, like for real. Plain and simple, the football and basketball hasn't been very good. Pac-12 football reached new lows this past season, but if you watch the games, it's really that simple. The talent level isn't elite in comparison to other major conferences, maybe with the exception of like a USC or Oregon, but two caveats I do want to throw out there that I completely understand that there are more sports in our conference than just men's basketball and football, but they are the biggest money makers, so it is what it is. And I also want to say that I think all of our student athletes are freaking amazing. So don't get it twisted. Seriously, I support all their dreams, whatever they want to be in life. And I'm extremely, extremely grateful I get to cover them. If it wasn't for them, I mean, uh, I obviously wouldn't have a packed all show to talk about sports. But there is a reality to the situation. And with those caveats, again, remember, we are talking about the Larry Scott departure here. And I'm just giving you my kind of unique take. So. There is a reality of the situation, 
And the reality is our football season ended with a non-division winning conference champion and 0-2 bowl record. And if that wasn't clear enough, here's a little back and forth my dad had a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> my dad's from Ohio, you know, big time football fan. He looks at me after watching one of the CFP semifinals and goes, this is different than Pac-12 football, kind of insinuating it's better, faster, stronger. And uh, I literally burst out laughing like as hard as I could. <laughs> I mean, my dad's like, I didn't have quite that reaction, but just covering Pac-12 football, to be entirely honest, those other leagues out there are essentially semi-pro and we're a cute little power conference. And why is this relevant? Because this fall has happened under Larry Scott. There's no other way to say it. Again, I love Pac-12 football. Really, the only conference I watch the majority of the time, but it just it's just the talent on the field isn't the same anymore. It, it's kind of sad. It, it really is sad. And while all the scheduling and Pac-12 network and maybe kind of sneaky financial deals made by Larry Scott, a lot of people would probably say that, not my words directly. For me, the glaring hole is the product on the field for these student athletes and the viewers alike, and it's terrible, and the fall has happened under Larry Scott, and there's no other way to say it, just that's just a fan's take, my honest kind of fan take. I don't want to get into all that scheduling matters. If you're looking at basketball, and we're still on the topic of Larry Scott for now, looking at the conference, we just don't really have it. We don't have that elite team. USC and Evan Evan Mobley are really hyped up by the media, but they don't have the look of a phenomenal team. I'll get more into this later. Colorado, same stuff as USC. I'll get more into this later. (laughs) UCLA and Oregon could be primed to make deep tournament runs, but the Ducks have missed their last three games due to COVID. And UCLA, as good as they look, I don't know if I'm ever going to be sold on them without Chris Smith, just a phenomenal player. And as it currently stands, we don't have a team ranked higher than 20th in any poll that should speak for itself. So you're looking at a football team with zero or a football conference with zero bowl wins. And as it currently sends a basketball, we don't have a team ranked higher than 20th. That That's just not good all around. And maybe I'm being a little harsh because the PAC 12 would have had a large number of teams selected into last year's NCAA tourney. I think it would have been six or seven, but don't quote me on that. I don't remember this precisely. Obviously the pandemic took over. It's not an excuse, but just don't call me on that. I believe it was six or seven though. And another relevant statistic is that the Oregon Ducks did make the final four in 2017, but maybe basketball isn't as bad as football, but I just feel it could be better. And I'm a hooper. I love hoops. And I just feel it could be better. I, I don't know what else to say. it. So in my summary for Larry Scott, my take, I don't want to take away From the student athletes, which I feel is what's been happening from a lot of other media members. That's neither here nor there for now. But for Larry Scott, the football team, not, or the football conference is really falling off. Some pretty prominent analysts would say that we maybe even compared to the lesser conferences, the non-Power 5 conferences. I don't mean lesser, but you know what I mean. And in basketball, it could get better, not quite as low as basketball, but again, as it currently stands, you don't have a team ranked higher than 20th. And we haven't had that elite power in a long time, at least that I can remember. Maybe Oregon, Arizona's kind of fallen off the last couple of years. So really just, if you look at basketball and football, from the fans' perspective, 
product is terrible on the field and this has all happened under Larry Scott. Not whether, not here to comment on whether his departure was the right move, not here to comment on his character as a person or anything like that. I don't know him personally. There's probably some good attributes to him. There's probably some bad attributes, but the product on the field is absolutely terrible football-wise and basketball could be improved. So as I said, I'm tired of talking about Larry Scott. The reason I do this show is so I can highlight student athletes and that's what we're about to do now. So we're talking about basketball a little bit earlier, talking about the Trojans. And I'm actually going to break down USC this week. So if you haven't watched USC play yet this year, I don't know why. I mean, I guess I do understand why. <laughs> They're not your team. You have like a job and kids and stuff. Respect what you got to do, what you got to do. But if you haven't watched USC, it all starts with the Mobley brothers. In particular, Evan, who is a freshman, and his older brother, Bro, or excuse me, his older brother, Isaiah, is a sophomore. Evan is the guy, though. E- Evan is the guy. If you don't know who he is, you seriously need to tune in this season. He, he's gone. He is going to the NBA after this year, barring some kind of massive injury. Let's hope that doesn't happen to him. SI currently has him listed as the number two pick in the upcoming NBA draft. That's number two. You see what I'm saying here? Other mock drafts out there have had him listed third. No matter what, he's probably going to be a top five pick again, barring a major injury. So... Essentially, we'll start with the stats, and then I'll give you a quick breakdown of his style. He's averaging 15.9 points per game, 8.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists, and 3 blocks per outing. Really impressive. Also shooting just under 60% from the field, so truly phenomenal stats, filling up the sheet in its entirety. A lot of people would compare him to like a Kevin Durant. He's a lengthy 7-footer, has a great touch around the rim, can dribble the ball, can move fluidly. But I'm not willing to give him that comparison. I don't think he's even close to Kevin Durant. I think there's one major area that separates the two of them. And that's going to be the three-point shooting or the three-point shot. As it stands, Evan Mobley is shooting 33.3% from beyond the arc, which is not bad at all. Really not bad at all for a seven-footer. But looking at KD when he was at Texas for his one year in college, he shot 40.4%. So those seven percentage points may not seem like that big of a deal. But when you're looking at the NBA three-pointer, that's a much tougher shot. And I don't see Mobley really being able to shoot at that level. From that far out, it doesn't seem probable to me. Maybe he will. Again, 33.3% is not bad, but he's not Kevin Durant, dog. Bottom line is, he's a monster. Not trying to take away from him. He's an absolute beast. But again, at the highest level, three-point shot will need to improve. But at the college level... Absolute monster. When he was playing my Cougs a couple of weeks ago, I literally, like, I'm a basketball coach, and I was trying to, like, figure out a scheme against him and that sort of thing. Like, how would you stop this guy? And I literally just came to the point of, well, you can't. You, you just can't. When he has that little hook shot going by the rim, when he usually does his nice high IQ plays, gets open in space, he is dominant. He is disgusting. And if you just love basketball and like seeing top-tier talent, especially out West, you need to tune to Evan Mobley. I know Gonzaga's got a lot of Highly recruited players, I'd argue that Mobley's probably better than all of them. Another player on USC is going to be his brother, Isaiah, who's averaging just under 10 points per game and 7.4 rebounds. He's the older brother. He's a sophomore this year. Mobley, as mentioned, is a freshman. Hopping back to Isaiah, though, he's a hustle guy. Bottom line, he's just a really good hustle guy. Gets rebounds, gets to the right spots, and most importantly, you don't want to take the shine away from him, but it's just the reality of the situation is that Isaiah plays perfectly with Evan. 
When you have Isaiah down the low block and you got Evan up around that free throw line, things can really, really be tough to defend. And I really do think, actually, I don't think, I'm stealing this from Bill Walton, to be honest. He kept saying during the broadcast last game that the offense needs to start through Isaiah down low. And while people may have their opinions about Bill Walton, I feel pretty confident listening to a guy who's an NCAA champion and a NBA champion talking about post-basketball. If he's saying the offense should start through him, I'm thinking the offense should start through Isaiah. So that speaks to itself. Again, he was very highly recruited. Very, very highly recruited by USC two years ago. Hasn't found the same success as his brother Evan. Not everyone is born into that freakish body. But Isaiah is a great, great player. Again, the hustle guy. Not the glue guy, but definitely the hustle guy. And I would love to see him continue to develop his game and probably make the NBA a couple years down the road. So we've covered the Mobley brothers for USC. It all starts with them. Two other players I'm going to look at today because I don't want to overload you with information. First guy is going to be Drew Peterson. He's a graduate transfer from Rice. He's... I guess a guard. They had him listed as a guard. He's six foot eight junior. I don't know why I said junior, but they have him listed as a guard for some reason. I would think he's a forward. He's got that nice little smooth turnaround game. Just USC's offense seems stagnant at times, and he seems like the guy who's never scared to just attack. May not be the best play always, but you gotta love that confidence, the ability to attack the hoop. And I think that Peterson is just the one consistent player at center. See, not one consistent player, that's unfair. But just the guy you may not think of who's going to kill you. He's averaging 10.9 points, 5.6 rebounds, and 3.4 assists. Most notably, though, is going to be his shot. He can really stretch the floor. And a move I really like from him, whenever he's a smaller guy in him, and remember, he's a six foot eight guard, so he's going to have smaller guys on him a lot. He just kind of posts him down and hits a nice little 15-foot, 10-foot jumper over him. And this is really effective for UFC. For UFC, who that is UFC. I guess I may be excited about the McGregor fight. But for USC, Peterson, really solid shooter, 15 feet and in, and just attacks the hoop consistently. And yeah, I'd just say just attacks the hoop consistently. Just a really solid piece for them. Last guy I'm going to talk about today is Taj Eddy, who is their point guard. Another graduate transfer from, from Santa Clara. He scored in double figures in eight out of the team's last 10 games. And as he goes, USC goes. You got the Moley brothers doing their thing. You got Peterson always attacking. With Taj Eddy is on, this team is damn tough to beat. And I'm talking darn diggity darn tough to beat. He's just a playmaker, man. He can shoot. He can drive. Doesn't have that elite athleticism, but he really can make plays on all facets of the court. And again, when you add him to Peterson, the Moley brothers, you now have four real reliable scoring options, along with some talented players that I'm not mentioning and this UC Trojan team could be very, very, very dangerous. Eddie's averaging 12.5 points per game, shooting 43.9% from the field and 36% from beyond the arc. So we got Taj, Eddie, Drew Peterson, the Mobley brothers. And you're thinking with those four guys, they have the basis for a really, really solid team primed to make a deep tournament run, maybe even Elite Eight, Final Four type stuff, especially considering they have a top three pick in the upcoming NBA draft. And the record does indicate that they're very tough to beat, 5-2 and two in conference, and 11-3 and three overall. But something just doesn't quite feel right. In other words, they just don't have the look of a dominant team. In their last three outings, they lost to Oregon State, barely beat the Cougars, and UC Riverside nearly beat them in overtime, falling by 5 points. So with all the talented players I just mentioned, 
Their last three games, they lost to Oregon State, barely beat WSU, and UC Riverside nearly beat them. Nearly beat them. Took them to overtime. So, the Trojans have the talent. Pretty obvious. They just got to figure it out. And I'm thinking getting Eddie going should prove a key priority from here on out. Just for USC, they just got to figure it out. They're so good, but something isn't clicking yet. I don't know what it is, and it needs to be addressed before tournament time. This team's talented enough to walk into the tournament, but when the games really matter, single elimination, you got to figure it out. So that's going to be my take on the Trojans. All the talent is there, but they're not playing up to it. In their last three, they've really played pretty crappy. (laughs) Pretty crappy, but the talent is there. The next thing I'm going to talk about today is the Colorado Buffs. And they're another one of these units that everyone keeps saying is really good, but I don't know. When when I started doing my research, I wanted to say I'm not sold on them. Looking at all the pieces they have and doing a little bit more research, I think they may be better than I was originally giving them credit for. Not entirely sold on them, but they are a pretty darn solid team. So in regards to them making a deep tournament run, I do see two problems. One, they don't have enough talent around McKinley Wright. I may actually counteract my own point here in a second. I think they might not have enough talent. Not don't, might not have enough talent talent around McKinley Wright. And two, Wright hasn't shown a killer instinct. He may have it, probably does, stand-up kid, but I just personally haven't seen it yet. Talking about the buffs, absolutely everything starts with McKinley Wright. Can I say McKinley Wright again? Maybe. He's their point guard, averaging 14.9 points per game, 5.8 assists, 4.5 rebounds, and one steal. Essentially, is a tremendous all-around point guard who is literally the perfect extension of a coach on the floor. He makes every right pass, every right play, great attitude, and outstanding morals. But I just got to see the dog in him. I just got to see the dog. And this wasn't actually some planned smooth transition against UW. See I did there? He didn't take the shot down three with the game on the line. And granted, it would have been like a double clutch three. And he made the right pass because he always does. Makes the perfect pass every freaking time. But I want to see him take that shot. You're McKinley right. You're supposed to be the best player averaging 15 points per game. You're a senior now. And why aren't you taking that shot? It just, it just bothered me a little bit. And the thing about him is he's such a good player. So smart. Makes every pass that sometimes he actually doesn't go after his own scoring. It's like it seems like he just tries to get his teammates involved so much that he forgets about himself. And as a head ba- or as a head basketball coach, you know, I love to see players like this. But at some point, you got to get your own. Sometimes you got to be a little bit selfish. You got to put yourself first sometimes. Uh, you know, so with McKinley Wright, he's obviously a standout. Going to be him and Mobley going to be two con- candidates here for player of the year. But I want to see him be more aggressive on offense. And I mean shooting the ball. He needs to. And the one caveat, and this is why I'm not entirely sold on the buffs, is that I don't know how good of a score he really is. He's only shooting 30.2% from beyond the arc. And he's also only six feet tall and doesn't have elite athleticism. Essentially, he can't jump that high compared to other D1 players. So he may struggle to score over athletic bigs. That was kind of weirdly worded. Pretty simply here. Only shooting 30% from beyond the arc. And may struggle to score against elite bigs down low. This isn't a recipe for an elite score. And he does have an amazing floater and amazing touch. But unless that three-point shot gets better, I don't know if he's making the right plays because he's just such a good teammate or maybe he's not as good a scorer as we all think out there. Either way, phenomenal stud. 
and you got to give him his credit. McKinley Wright is a stud, but we got to be fair, talk about reality, and dissect him a little bit. The other players on the Buffs, again, understand everything goes through McKinley, but there are a couple other notable players on the Buffs. I'm going to do a combination of big forwards here. You're looking at Jariah Horn, 11.3 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, shooting 96.2% from the free throw line. What the heck for a forward? Six foot seven, and he just has that old man YMCA game. I think I stole this from the announcer last night. But seriously, he just hits these nice little 15-foot jumpers, nice little soft hook shots, and seemingly just scores with ease. And it's not like, I don't know, it's not like not fluid, but it's not like janky. He just kind of scores, and you don't like see it. He just continues to score. So Dryhorn, very solid playmaker, and I think getting him more touches could prove beneficial for the buffs. Still trying to find a replacement for Tyler Bay, who obviously went to the NBA draft last year. So, Horn, one of those guys. Another player is going to be Evan Batty, who is the heart and the soul of the Buffs. While McKinley Wright may be the coach, uh, or the extension of the coach and the best player, Evan Batty is the heart and the freaking soul. He's averaging 10.5 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, but forget the stats with him. If you haven't seen him play, He's the big-bodied guy, looks like an offensive lineman, but he's also quick. My dude has got some footwork. You got to respect him. He can finish around the hoop. He's crafty, takes charges. For a guy that size to be taking charges, pretty much tells you everything you need to know about him. He's just the heart and soul of the buffs. He, You can tell people love being around this guy. Good kid. And a story to really tell you how good of a person he really is. Last year in a game against Stanford, him and Oscar Da Silva got in a really ugly collision, uh, ugly collision and... De Silva actually lacerated his head, and Batty was the guy who obviously ran into him. He was so shaken up that you could see him visibly crying on the bench, and a lot of players, especially young players, may say, forget that guy. Let's get back into the game. You know what I'm saying? He was crying, which tells you he's got morals, he's got soul, he's got heart, and the buffs really feed off this guy. Last guy, not going to talk about too long here, going to do a little quickness here. Essentially, we're going to talk about Jabari Walker, who is the son of former NBA player Samaki Walker. He averages 8.4 points per game. He's a freshman, really impressive for the 8.4 points. And he needs more minutes, though, before I can give a true analysis. He's only getting 14 minutes per game right now. Another 6'8 forward, and Batty's also a 6'8 forward. So they have a nice kind of range of three players from that 6'7, 6'8 range. 6'8 range. The last three guys I'm going to talk about here, actually not going to talk about, but give you a quick synopsis because the Buffs are a true team. They go very deep. You got Deshaun, Deshaun Schwartz, who's a shooter. You got Maddox Daniels, who's another three-point shooter. <laughs> Should I slow down here? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm struggling with the names here. Let, let, let me slow down here. So, uh, got Schwartz and Daniels, both really good three-point shooters. And Eli Parquet is a solid defender. So, they really do run seven to eight to nine guys deep. And after doing a deep dive, like I said at the top, I kind of do like the Buffs' chances more now. That UW loss was really a tough one, but most teams have at least one bad loss a season. So if we can put that aside and move forward, the Buffs should be good to go. They do have wins against USC, Oregon, and Stanford. But the bottom line is, if this team wants to make a deep, deep tournament run, I love McKinley's team-oriented attitude. But dog, sometimes you got to do it yourself. And when crunch time is on, you can't be passing up no more gambling shots. I don't care how open your teammates are. So here we are. My hand's shaking, which means it's Bartlett's random topic of the day. And I'm maybe kind of angry right now because stupidity of things. Why 
Wow, I yelled really loud there. Why in the heck is the NBA enforcing no handshaking and hug rules? If the game is so unsafe to freaking play, they shouldn't be playing. How in the hell can they play basketball where you're freaking guarding a guy two inches away from them, but you can't shake their hand or hug them at half court? Yo, that is some crap, dog. I'm going to do my best not to swear. I think I let a couple F-bombs go last week. What the heck is that? My hand's shaking. Hold on. I got, I got, I got to switch the phone position. Hold up. Hold up, y'all. Okay, y'all still with me? <laughs> all right, guys. This is angry. So, in all seriousness, though, how can you look at essentially playing basketball and saying that they can't do handshakes, whatever, half court, you can't get that close, but you can play basketball where the dude's literally sweating on you. And I don't want to go into this too much, but it seems like you're just trying to promote an image here. And I don't like that. I, I just don't like that. B-U-N-B-A. You're either safe enough to play basketball or you're not safe enough to play basketball. And I know European soccer leagues are trying to do something similar with like teams partying and hugging after goals. That's a bunch of crap. That's a bunch of crap, dog. Like, like it just logically, scientifically, all that doesn't make sense. And it seems like you're taking fun of the game for no reason. You're taking away from the personality of the game for no reason. And I don't like that at all. Let them be them. So if they can't handshake logically and they can't hug, then they can't box out. They can't play defense. You have to leave Steph Curry six feet open every time. And yeah, I mean, I don't really have much more to say on that. I think that stands for itself. That's just stupid. It's really, really, really confusing to society. And you're sending mixed signals to everyone, to everyone, man. You can't say that you can play the game, but you can't handshake. That does not make logical sense in any way, shape, or form. And I'm done with this rant, man. I probably have more on it, but for the sake of this being a packed all show, I'll let it go for for now. Maybe you'll get more out of this next week when it's enforced and a player may get a lifetime suspension for high-fiving their freaking teammate after a game-winning shot or someone in Europe scoring a game-winning goal and they're supposed to go like sit in the corner and cry alone or something. <laughs> okay, guys. So, all right. <laughs> all right, let me collect myself. I'm laughing again. That's good. That seems like a good time to move on. All right, guys. That's going to do it for Bartlett's Random Topic of the Day. Thank you for tuning in as always and concluding and summarizing today's episode. We talked about Larry Scott and the Pac-12 parting ways, USC and Evan Mobley, Colorado and McKinley Wright, and in the NBA and European soccer leagues, if they can't hug, then they cannot play the freaking game. That simple. Make up your mind. I'm off to go watch the Cougs, hopefully beat the Utes, baby. Bonton hit some craziness for me tonight. I love you all seriously though. Go Cougs though. You know how to throw it out there. I, this is my favorite team. I love Cougar basketball. That's that's just me, dog. That's just me. They better win tonight. Anyways, big game against you. So seriously though, I love you all. We're all in this together through this crazy pandemic and whatever you're going through in life, whatever it is, we're all in this together. Remember that we all humans. I think we're all humans. Some of y'all may be aliens, but seriously, we're all in this together. And as always, I'm out. Cheetos and tuna. Dang, my voice cracked on my tagline. We're going to do that again. Cheetos and tuna.